Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we are exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics and racial capitalism and the beauty of resistance? My friends, I'm grateful to be here with you. I am Reverend Kelsey Beebe. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm ordained minister in the United Church of Christ for the UCC, and I serve as a local pastor at two UCC churches just south of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I also serve as the executive minister of the nonprofit Dancing Pastor Ministries, and I host the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for progressive Christians. I live in Kenosha, Wisconsin, on the homeland of the Potawatomi peoples alongside Lake Michigan. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy wherever we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. Let us pray. God of the waters, your love is as vast as the ocean and as deep as the sea. May the rivers of your grace soften our hearts. May streams of hope flow through us and bring us peace. Amen. I invite you to listen to these words from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Here ends the reading.
we begin, I want to offer you some context for this passage from Isaiah chapter 43. This is second Isaiah, also known as Deutero Isaiah, and it was written during exile when the Babylonian Empire had conquered Judah and the people of Israel were scattered in a diaspora. They were spread out between Assyria and Babylonia, Egypt and Elephantine. But we know from scripture that the people of Israel had a deep sense of despair during this time. As they were spread out, they wondered if God had abandoned them or perhaps did God no longer love them? They wondered, are the Babylonian gods stronger than our God? There was a deep pain that they were experiencing that second Isaiah is speaking right into the heart of, speaking right into the heart of that pain in this passage. But the beautiful thing about that is that there's an element of hope here. And Isaiah is speaking to God's faithfulness. We see in verse three, a little more of the context in which it says, I give Egypt as your ransom. And I say that gives some context because it tells us sort of where in the story this is taking place, that something has shifted here and the people know that they will be headed back to their home out of exile. But I wanna take a moment to pause here and offer a little bit of a side note, or I have friends who will call this a sermon note, but I wanna talk about this verse, verse three, where it says, I give Egypt as your ransom. It can feel really problematic here. Verses three and four read as follows. I give Egypt as your ransom. Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. And then in a verse later in verse four, it says, I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. It can seem when we read these, like God is trading people for people, destroying one in order to redeem another. But there's a rabbi named Rabbi Kim, who is from the 13th century, who explained that that actually isn't the case that at the time Cyrus the Great allowed Israel to return and rebuild, Egypt and Ethiopia and Seba were waging war against Persia, which is where Cyrus the Great ruled. And so when Cyrus the Great offers for Israel to return and rebuild, it's because of the fact that these other countries are waging war, particularly to the south. And so Persia is turning their attention there and allowing the people of Israel to come home. And so as the person who wrote this week's uh, Working Preacher commentary, if you don't know Working Preacher, I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. But they look at the text for each week, particularly from the Revised Common Lectionary. But the person who wrote the commentary for Isaiah said this week, God was not trading peoples, but working through the events of international politics to provide relief to a displaced people. I'm going to say that again. This is the quote from the Working Preacher Commentary. God was not trading peoples, but working through the events of international politics to provide relief to a displaced people. Essentially, what God is doing here, what Isaiah is saying that God does, is saying, if y'all are going to wage war, then I'm going to take this opportunity to redeem and bring freedom to a displaced and oppressed people. So there's a 
it's like a taking advantage of if if these people are already raging war against each other what god is allowing is for that to happen and then there's like a softness that happens in cyrus allowing the people of israel to come back because they are preoccupied in this other space in this other war if you want to learn more about that i will fully say i am not an expert on this i really encourage you to go to the link i'll put in the show notes that will tell you more about this from the working preacher commentary for the week but anyway i hope this offers just a little bit more context for what's happening here and maybe an answer or offer some ease to the problematic pieces of isaiah chapter 43. so coming back to this where we arrived here is in the midst of a displaced people who have now been told by cyrus that they may return but they haven't yet when i read this passage from isaiah even i get a sense of deep comfort when i read isaiah 43. And I think the reason that it feels so comforting is that it speaks right into the heart of the pain that the people of Israel are experiencing and have experienced. So it also speaks into the heart of the pain that we have experienced even now. There's the refrain that comes again and again, which is do not fear, which implies that the people hearing this are deeply afraid. We hear the verse, when you pass through the waters, which implies that they are passing through deep metaphorical waters that they fear will overwhelm them. Or the verse, when you walk through fire, which implies that they are moving through an incredibly difficult and painful journey. The beauty of Isaiah 43 verses one through seven is that it acknowledges the deep horrors that these people have faced. And because it acknowledges those painful pieces of their story and of their experience, it also acknowledges that of our own stories and experiences here and now today. In the midst of the fears and the trembling and the doubts and wondering if God's love for them and for us has worn out or if God has abandoned them in this time. And tell me, we have felt that way too in the last couple of years. Has God abandoned us? So in the midst of this comes the promise. Do not fear for I have redeemed you. Do not fear for I am with you. Yes, you will pass through the waters, but I will be with you. You may walk through fire, but you will not be burned. The flame will not consume you. I have called you by name. You are mine. These are the promises. And when God says you are mine, this is a familial claim. Sometimes this claiming can sound like a referral to slavery, God saying you are mine, but it is God claiming as God's beloved, as God's family. Just think of what these folks have been through, displacement, oppression, exile. They've experienced in their history, the horrors of slavery. And now they hear this word of reclamation, you are mine not anyone else's. You are my beloved. We hear this echoed in the story of Jesus's baptism when the Spirit's voice booms from the clouds, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Then when God says, I have called you by name, it's a restoration of personhood to call someone by name. 
Again, think of what the people have experienced and been through, what was taken from them. To be called by name, to acknowledge who they are, it's a reaffirmation and a restoration of their humanity. I think of our trans beloveds who speak to the experience of being called by name, their chosen name, and to use their pronouns. It is deeply humanizing and affirming to be called by name. And that's what God does. God does all of these things because this is who God is. Our God is a God who gathers, who heals, who restores, who forgives, a God who loves. All of these are verbs. A God who gathers, who heals, who restores, who forgives. God's love and compassion are not just abstract concepts or ideas or feelings. They are embodied actions. God says, I will gather you. I am with you. I call you by name. I will keep the waters from overwhelming you and the fire from burning and consuming you. God does all of these things simply because, as verse says, I love you. Because I love you and this is who I am. Verse 3 begins, for I am the Lord your God. I am the God who formed you and created you. The God who created the universe created you. These destructive forces will never consume you. Isaiah 43 is the reassurance of who God is and who we are to God. Beloved, chosen, never abandoned. And isn't that what baptism is? Considering this week in the Revised Common Lectionary, we encounter the story of Jesus' baptism. It's important to acknowledge a baptism is a reassurance of who God is, healer, creator, redeemer, and of who we are to God as God's beloved family, called by name. And what a gift that is to receive. As we hear these promises and reassurances, perhaps our call and response is to look for who is displaced in our world and in our communities. How can we be a part of God's work of restoration and redemption here and now? How can we partake in God's loving action, considering especially we are made in God's image? Perhaps we too can call people by name. We can forgive. We can look for what is broken in our world and participate in working to heal it. We can seek justice for the oppressed. We can look for who remains in bondage, like in the throes of tremendous debt, and seek to free them. My friends, God is at work. The love and faithfulness proclaimed in Isaiah is still alive and being proclaimed here and now. It speaks into our brokenness, reminds us of who God is and who we are, and calls us forth into action as a response. What a gift that we can receive God's love. And what a gift that we get to be a part of embodying that love in the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
For today's call to action, I invite you to connect with Together Rising. Together Rising is an organization that funds other more localized organizations that really do the boots on the ground work around the world. No one can describe their work better than they can, so I offer you this quote from their website. Whether it's pulling children out of the sea outside the refugee camps in Greece, helping abandoned kids on the streets in Indianapolis, establishing the first opioid recovery home for pregnant teens in New Hampshire, building a maternal health wing in Port-au-Prince, providing a single mother access to breast cancer treatment, or keeping a foster family's heat on in Texas, Together Rising identifies what is breaking the hearts of our givers as they look around their world and their community. And then we connect our givers' generosity with the people and organizations who are effectively addressing that critical need." End quote. In essence, Together Rising believes that we all belong to each other. There's no such thing as other people's children. And really, isn't that the embodiment of our faith, that we belong to each other, and so thus are called to care for one another? So I encourage you to look at that work, give or get involved as you're able, and know that nothing is too small. In fact, Together Arising has raised over $30 million with an average donation of $25. Their website is togetherrising.org, and I will be sure to link that in our show notes. Special thanks and shout out to our incredible sound editors, Claire Hitchens and Maxwell Pearl, who make magic every week. And now, my friends, I invite you as we close to receive this blessing. May you go forth forever sustained by the love of God. May you know that whatever waters you pass through, God is with you. Whatever fires you make your way through, you will not be burned. God calls you by name, and you are God's. Go forth, blessed by the one whom we call creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Blessed forever by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is mother of us all. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.